Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, thank you for joining us today on the program. Man, I just, uh, I, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to you who have responded and are uh, enjoying what we're saying. I know we're uh, breaking new ground for many of you, but I think that so many people are being encouraged and fear is leaving and uh, uh, you're just encouraged by such a victorious eschatology, uh, a very optimistic outlook. I believe that our future is secure. I believe the earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof, the earth and all they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And I believe it belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ and God's original mandate was to give this planet to his man to rule and to reign and to set his dominion. And I believe God has never changed his mind about that plan. In the last segment, we taught a lot of things concerning last days. We dealt with Hebrews 1 where it talks about uh, God who at sundry times and at times past, divers manners, spoke to us in, through, and by the Son, hath, past tense, and these last days, spoken to us by the Son. The Apostle Paul believed he was living in the last days. Now you can go back again and watch the archive versions of this because I'm not going to go back and deal with it in the same level of detail I did in the last segment. But you can watch it on YouTube by simply going to our website and following the link to YouTube. You can also get it as an iTunes podcast that you can listen to it in your car or a uh, RSS feed that will uh, stream to any other device so that you can listen to it over and over again. But uh, these, this, this first apostle Paul said, God has in these last days spoke to us by the Son whom he has made heir of all things. Uh, the apostle Peter stood up in Acts the second chapter and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we dealt with in that segment how the apostle Peter said he called his day the last days. The third apostle was the apostle John who said, uh, little children, we know, we know, we don't question, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. That was long before any of these other devised Antichrists we've seen in history. It is amazing to me that since I was about a little boy that I can tell you about 12 or 15 different antichrists and 12 or 15 different dates that have come and gone and passed uh, where they have missed in their prophetic uh, uh, interpretations when they thought the end was coming and uh, who they thought the antichrist was. I remember when I was a kid, I remember when uh, Gorbachev was the antichrist that he had that spot on his head. And I remember when Ronald Reagan was because he had six letters in each name. I remember when uh, Begin was the Antichrist. I remember when uh, Tony Blair was. I remember when Saddam Hussein was. I remember when uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton were the Antichrist. And then it's Obama. And then Osama. And then you, you, you just, you know, then the list goes on and on and on. And uh, then these dates come and they go and it doesn't pan out. And we let these guys say, whoops, saith the Lord, I was wrong again. After a little while, I would say, at least consider the fact that if they've been wrong that many times, at least give me a few minutes to tell you there may be an alternative to some of that. You know, I began to read, you know, especially during the year uh, 2000, 
because uh, I've preached this stuff for a long time now. But especially 1999 into the year 2000, when everybody was crying, the sky is falling, and people built, you know, houses, and, or not didn't build houses, but they bought seven years worth of food, stacked it, stored it, uh, because the end was coming. It came and went. Now those barrels are sitting there full of dried wheat. Nobody knows what to do with it. And they spent an awful lot of money on that kind of stuff because they thought, once again, the end was near. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, these apostles, but anyway, uh, when, I was, when I was listening to all the hype during the Y2K scare, and, uh, and I preached in 1999, I said, Y2K to me means yield to the king. And I said, I will preach in the year 2000. We're still here. Now what? Somewhere in our future, somebody is at least going to take a look at this and say, hey, uh, they've missed it so many times that maybe, maybe the platform is right to start introducing some ideas that I believe is going to save the face of the church in all honesty. Because I read in an article when I was in Canada, I li literally was in the airport in, in Toronto, and when I uh, was there in the airport killing time, I, I picked up, I believe it was a Newsweek magazine. Newsweek had an article in there about how that uh, Jesus and the apostles, because not only did these apostles like Paul and Peter and John believed they were living in the last days, but Jesus himself would say, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass till all these things have been fulfilled. And so this writer was discrediting the Word of God and, uh, and, and was, you know, trying to make it sound like uh, these guys were false prophets. In other words, he said, these guys predicted things that, uh, that they said would happen within their generation and they did not happen. I submit to you, they did happen. If we just look at them in the light of how they were presented, they did happen. Because the end of the world, like I shared in my last segment, is not the end of a global situation. It is the Greek word eon, and it's saying at the end of the age. Jesus, when Matthew 24, they ask him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world, King James says. Every other translation says, and of the end of the age. Uh, you see also in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, once in the end of the world, hath, past tense, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's my favorite end of the world scripture is in Hebrews 9, Jesus brought an end to that world by the death and the sacrifice of himself. But I submit to you again that the word world there is not global situation. It was the end of an age and it was the end of the age of the law and it was the end of the age of the law because Jesus had offered himself as the final and last and the only sacrifice that could be accepted uh, in the nostrils of God on a mercy seat in heaven is because of the blood of that sacrifice. People say, well, then they'll come back and say, well, these, these apostles just believed they were living in the last days. To which I reply, if they just believed they were living in the last days and they were wrong about that, what else are they wrong about? We either have to believe all scripture is God breathed and stay in the context of it, even when it messes with our theology, or we have to call these men false prophets, or they just missed it. I'm telling you, these apostles, if they missed that, what else did they miss that we can't trust? I submit to you, if they, they believe they were living in the last days, then in fact they were living in the last days. And they were living in the last days of an old covenant, and it was the last days of the Mosaic system and, uh, and, uh, and of the Jewish age was rapidly coming to an end. And all through the Scripture, there are multiples of Scriptures that deal with the end of the age. Let me just deal with another one here as we get ready, uh, and we'll try to touch some of these today. Uh, verse 24, this is Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. 
But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And the servants, so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? And from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And, but he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn." And another parable put he forth that said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed. And he goes into two other um, uh, parables, including the measure of uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto eleaven, which what, uh, unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So he's telling you that the whole, the whole message about the kingdom is it's like leaven. Once you get it in, it's going to affect everything until the whole thing gets infected by it. You want to know how I believe this thing ends? I believe it ends with the kingdom of God being like leaven until it just gets so increased and so increased. Matter of fact, I was looking at some statistics the other day, and uh, the statistics were saying there are more people on the earth today that are believers per capita than there has ever been in human history. There are more believers on the planet. If, if there's not, well, we're sure wasting our time with television and reaching the gospel, reaching around the world with the gospel. I submit to you, we are being very successful with the gospel and that more people are hearing the gospel than they ever have through the power of media, through cameras, through Facebook, all these other things. I believe the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It may be the smallest one when it starts, but by the time it's done, it becomes a great tree and all the birds of the air can lodge in its branches. Jesus then goes on, or the verse goes on to say in verse 35, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will, utter, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have, not, which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, I dealt with that in a prior chapter and showed you how Jesus talks about the seed of the kingdom are the ones that are believers that come through supernatural birth. And Jesus turns around and says, even concerning some of these apostate Jews, you are of your father, the devil. And he says, the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Now, this is where we start getting thrown off. We're thinking, well, this is way out in the future. But this word, again, end of the world, and every other translation is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. I submit to you that the end of the age that he's talking about here is not the end of this age. It was the end of the age of the law that occurred around 70 A.D. when, all, when, 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 when uh, this harvest, it was a great harvest that was, uh, that was reaped. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the age. Now you say, well, that's talking about some nuclear exchange or some nuclear holocaust. I submit to you that he's talking about the burning of Jerusalem when Titus came to town and burned everything 
everything to the ground and literally pried the rocks apart. I mean, some of the historians say that that Titus wanted to save the temples, but because of the rebellious, uh, just insolent actions of the priest and so forth, that he literally could not hold back the forces as they literally burnt this thing to the ground. So the tares, which were the children of the wicked one, were literally the ones that were being burnt in this unquenchable fire in the end of that age. And he said, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I submit to you that he's talking about what occurred in the end of that Jewish age. Now, let me just show you some more of these scriptures. Uh, um, uh, it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me see if I can get that for, for you quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, 8. 1 Corinthians. Hallelujah. Who shall also confirm you? This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. Well, let me back up a little bit. He said, even as, verse 6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you cannot so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who you were called under this fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he went to confirm us unto the end. And then he goes on. Here's, here's a couple more places where it talks about um, uh, the time of the end. First Corinthians 10. Let me, let me work my iPad a little bit here. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and I believe around the 11th verse. Or he's talking about, let me just get this. It says, uh, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. But when many of them, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as an example for us upon whom the end of the age has come. Not us, but upon these Corinthians that were standing there. And he says to them, don't follow after their same example of unbelief, because they were the people upon whom the end of the age had come, whom the end of the world had come. Uh, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He's telling that, in other words, this is written to Corinthians. We, we, we read sometimes the scripture, we think, well, uh, these scriptures are somehow we grab them and we throw them out in our future. They, they were written to somebody. They were written to really a church here in Corinth. And if they didn't have any relevance to them, we grab that and throw it way out in our future, but it had relevance to them right then. And he said to them, listen, man, don't fall after the same example that they fell after. You are about to miss it again. 
Uh, I believe that's what Paul was literally, when he was dealing with these guys in the book of Hebrews, when he told them, God has in these last days spoken to us by the Son, he tells them in Hebrews 4, then, you know, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, you would come short of it. For the, unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word not mixed with faith did not profit them. Paul was pleading with his countrymen. He was saying to them even later in the book of Hebrews, if you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened and you've tasted of the good word of God and the power of the age to come, and then you fall away and go back, it, he said there remains no more a sacrifice for sin. But he's not simply saying if you sin after you got saved, uh, you know, and you did it willfully that you could never be saved again. What he's saying to them is if you go back to Judaism and you miss this mark of the new covenant on purpose and you go back up under the law, there's not another sacrifice coming. There will never be another sacrifice because in order to go back to Judaism, you have to walk back over the blood of Jesus and trample it underfoot and say it's an unholy thing. But he declares to them, but for you that are drawing back to perdition, there's about to come on you a certain fearful of fire indignation which shall try all those people. And what happened was their judgment came within just a few years of the book of Hebrews because they did not heed the warning of the apostle Paul. And those terrors were gathered together and and burned with an unquenchable fire while the uh, children of the kingdom were gathered together in his barn. I believe that's what the gathering is in Matthew 24 when he said, I'll send forth the sound of a trumpet and they will gather my elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And he goes on to say, I'll gather them. Can I tell you that if you just put that in the same context it's already written in, in Matthew 23, Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you that killed the prophets, how oft I would have gathered you, gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. Can I tell you the gathering in Matthew 24 when he says he will send forth his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and he will gather them is the same gathering that he wanted to gather them before under his feathers, under the wings of the cherubim of the mercy seat. And that what he wanted to gather was the same gathering of Matthew 13. He wanted to gather his wheat into his barn and release the kingdom to the children of the kingdom. That to me is incredibly good news, man. I, that, that makes me want to shout as I sit here and talk about these things. He's talking about to these Corinthians upon whom the end of the age has come. Let me show you some more stuff. Uh, and, and, and let me see here. Um, in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 3, uh, in verse number six, he talks about upon whom he says that we should stand firm unto the end. In Hebrews 3, verse 14, it said, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In Hebrews 6, verse 11, it says, show the same diligence until the end. The end that was coming was the end of that whole polity and that whole uh, Jewish age. And he was saying, can you just hold it? He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. I'm telling you, he was talking about some people standing right there in that same time period that they were in right there. He says to the, to, uh, in the first Peter chapter four, verse number seven, for the end of all things is at hand. Uh, in first Timothy uh, chapter four, verse one, he says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and, and doctrines of devils. In the latter times, they will. In uh, uh, verse number, Hebrews 1, verse uh, 2, it says, In the last days perilous times will come. Uh, uh, 
No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And the last days perilous times will come. Uh, and, and Hebrews 1, verse 2, God has in these last days. James chapter 5, verse 3 says, You have heaped up treasures in the last days. He's still talking to people in that context who have brought themselves to heap up and counted on their treasures in that particular season, and they were about to come to the end of it. 1 Peter 1, verse 5 said, You have heaped up treasures in these last days. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 said that there is a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last times. Uh, I, I believe that when he talks about in Matthew 24 and in the uh, other Gospels where he says, when all you see all of these things occurring, talking about the destructions and the destructions of the temple and all of these things coming to an end, he said, lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. Redemption to me is not a flight to glory land. It is simply that, a redemption. Redemption was about to come in fullness. They had received the down payment of their inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1, which was the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but they were about to receive the fullness of their inheritance, which was the kingdom. There was a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last times. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 said that scoffers will come in the last days. And, and uh, no, again, I'm wrong there. That's 2 Peter chapter 3. The scoffers will come in the last days. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. Peter was dealing with, as he wrote this book in about uh, 66 A.D., that they were saying, look, since the fathers fell asleep, you all been talking about this stuff for 30 some years. And it seems like all things continue as they were. Since the fathers fell asleep, it continues like it was. And it doesn't seem like there's any change. And Peter said, listen, the reason that there is long suffering is because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he says, I'm giving you every last minute to come to repentance. And it, this came in accordance with what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24, that this generation will not pass till all these things are fulfilled. Jesus gave that prophecy in 30 AD, and in, in 70 AD it came to pass. It was exactly 40 years later that the prophecy of Jesus came to pass of the destruction of the temple. And so Peter is addressing these scoffers, and he's saying, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. But Peter writes to him, he says, God is not slack concerning his promise but he's not willing that any should perish. In other words, I'm going to give you every opportunity. I'm going to give you the full 40 years. Interestingly enough, it compares greatly and perfectly to the 40-year transition when they came out of Egypt under Moses. It was 40 years. Under Jesus, who was the deliverer of the real Exodus, it was from 30 AD to 70 AD, was another 40 years. And everything that they saw under Moses by type and shadow was only an example for those upon whom the end of this age had come. In other words, they saw a slate, they saw a physical lamb taken out under Moses and put on the doorpost of their house. But John the Baptist points at Jesus, he says, right there's the real lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looks up and, and, and uh, you know, he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Uh, so they saw that in reality. The, the, the children of Israel saw bread fall in the backyard called manna. But in the new covenant, Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But I'm the true bread 
that came down from heaven. So that everything that they saw by type and shadow, Jesus perfectly fulfilled, and this next 40-year gap. I'll put a timeline up, maybe the next time I talk, I'll put a chart up and show you these dates and how they perfectly fit with this biblical time of the end. And so, uh, you know, uh, but Peter says that, uh, you know, scoffers are going to come in the last days. In Jude verse 18, it says, it is the last hour. That's not my opinion. It's what these guys were saying. He said that in chapter uh, 2 Peter 3.12, that there will be mockers in the last time. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, he said we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. Uh, he wrote to the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Remember, he's writing to Corinthians. That you be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, that the Spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, just so many things that, that I could say to you. There are several places then also in the book of Matthew, where Jesus said, you will not have finished going through the cities of Jerusalem until the Son of Man become. That there are some standing here that will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Jesus again says, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Paul says God has in these last days. John says, little children, we know it is the last time. Jude says we are in the last hour, not we, them. Uh, Peter says in the last days, scoffers are going to come. In the last days, I'm going to gather the wheat into the barn. The tares are going to be burnt with an unquenchable fire. I submit to you, just consider the possibilities and at least delve into it. You don't have to take my word for it. There's all kinds of material out there. It's just that, you know what? I grew up in Pentecost and I never, ever heard that there may be an alternative to all this fear and scared end of the world stuff. I tell you, to me, it would be incredibly good news that just consider perhaps that our future is not a future of looking for a future hell on earth, but we have a future that is secure where the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of the field. That the kingdom of God is alive and well on planet earth and it is increasing. That the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Does it offend you that I preach a winning Jesus? It ought to thrill us. It ought to say, you know what? You're right. The last book of the Bible, I've read it, and we do win. We don't win the way some of it preaches, but we do the way Brother House preaches it. And let's, let me tell you that you can go through. I've got multiples and multiples and multiples of scriptures dealing with the last days, dealing with the end of the age, dealing with the end of the world, and all of them are set in the context and time text of the end of that old age of the law. The next time you read those scriptures, just consider the possibilities. I know it'll create a lot of questions, but it'll also create a lot of answers. But just consider the possibility that we may not have some hell on earth to look forward to in the future. Remember, the song of the, the book of Revelation was, Thou hast redeemed us. So it's not what's coming, it's what we've been redeemed from. Take a moment to, to write to us. S include, if you can, a generous offering to help us to stay on the air. We do need your help, we need partners. If you believe in what we're doing, get behind what we're doing. Go to our website. You can give via credit card, or you could call that number on the screen, or you can use the address and simply write your check to Lynn House Ministries and send it to us. We would deeply appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks for joining us this week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, 
you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.